0: This podcast of Out to Lunch is brought to you by Balance Integrative Health, a medical clinic where traditional and alternative medical practitioners work together to treat the whole you. Insurance accepted. Go to bihnola.com, write Out to Lunch in the coupon code and get 20% off your first visit to Balance Integrative Health. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones-Walker. Established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Fidelity Bank, Resource Management LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti.
1: Welcome to Out to Lunch. Somewhere along the line of human history, a cave dweller picked up a rock and etched something on a wall. Years later, we invented canvas currency, and art auctions. Now we're able to value the illustrations of our lives and pay astronomical sums for them. If art is, like our cavemen predecessors, a way of recording our history, it would be nice if it was available for all of us to share, and not just the province of the wealthy. And, well, that's why we have public art galleries. Susan Taylor is the director of the New Orleans Museum of Art, and before that, the director of Princeton's Art Museum. Susan, I'm sure you can do a better job of explaining the history of public art and the private art market. Uh, Welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you, Peter. After we created currency and art markets, we invented the car, then the highway, and that brought about a whole new link between art and commerce, the billboard. Lamar Advertising is one of the largest outdoor advertising companies in North America, and it's based in Baton Rouge. Sean Riley is the CEO of Lamar Advertising. Sean, welcome to Out to Lunch. Happy to be here, Peter and Susan. Glad to join you for lunch. Thank you. You're more than billboards, right? You're involved in,
2: uh, let's see, transit work. We do. We wrap buses all over the country and in Canada. And and then we also have this little niche business where if you're driving down the highway and it says food, gas, lodging, the little blue signs. Oh, and yeah. it'll have the little logo right. of There's McDonald's house or Holiday Inn. <laughs> we do that all over the country. Wow. Yeah, and That's a great business. How
1: did that business come up? You started billboards. How did, how did that come That in?
2: Uh, came about when uh, states, through their highway departments, came up with the idea. And they didn't want to do it themselves, and so they privatized it. And we got in early, and we now run that program for 25 states. Wow. That's yeah, very cool. And here in Louisiana, right, just over <laughs> Louisiana. And those are great, because without those, you see people take an exit and well, I like never to come say back we, again. We, we tell people where to get off.
1: How did Lamar get to be the 800-pound gorilla on the interstate?
2: Well, you got to go back to 1902. Whoa. Wow. You were and a child. No, you yeah, weren't born. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> this, would, this would be my mother's grandfather, okay. a guy named Charles Lamar, and he owned an opera house. And, of course, the turn of the last century, that was the center point of the city. There were no movie theaters. There were no televisions, radio stations, all that stuff. Um, and every, uh, week they would post the coming attractions on the side of the opera house. And one day a guy from Atlanta with the Coca-Cola bottling company came down and said, when you post the coming attractions, would you post drink Coca-Cola on the side of the opera house? And Charles Lamar being the entrepreneur that he was, a little light bulb goes off and he says, yeah, I'll put it there and I'll put it all over town. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the birth of, uh of Lamar Advertising in 1902 and um, the real growth happened because of Kevin Riley my father who you knew yep in the legislature uh, way back when uh, he started buying up these family businesses that grew much the way Lamar did out of Pensacola Florida uh, he started buying them up around Louisiana Mississippi East Texas um, and then my brother took over and in the mid 90s and we went public and um, at that stage, there was a, a, a lot of consolidation going on in the industry, and we were either going to be a gobbler or a gobbler. <laughs> and we elected to go public, raise money, and be a gobbler. And we started buying uh, outdoor companies, mostly from private families, um, all over the country. And so today, we are the largest uh, in the country uh, billboard operator in terms of uh, operations around the country. And uh, it's been a good ride.
1: And hey, Sean, I'm going to ask you this because when I told people that I was having you on the show, a lot of questions were about, tell me about these digital billboards that Mm -hmm. we're seeing, Maura.
2: Um, How many do you have and how do you decide where to put them? Um, So it's really driven by demand. Uh, It's a great product, our our customers love it. Um, What's neat about it is there's no production. You can change the copy from your desktop. And uh, I could take your picture with my iPhone right now. And I could have you in front of 30 million eyeballs in five minutes. It's a little more than one percent of our billboards, but it's about 20 percent of our revenues. Wow, that's a yeah. We generate over 200 million a year on those digital billboards. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's pretty
1: cool. Now, Susan, uh, the New Orleans Museum of Art is an institution that everybody in the city values. It's a public space for public art and yet the gallery seems to depend on donations from individuals, foundations, and corporations to function. Is this patronage model the standard for art galleries everywhere? I actually, you're the president of a a group of art museums, right? So you you know what everybody else goes through. Is this a pretty standard model? It
3: is pretty standard. Um, Art museums are funded primarily through annual giving, um, ongoing gifts, through endowment, and through other fundraising initiatives, foundations, and, um, pri- and private giving. So it is a standard model. Um, it's a model that has had its stressors over the last several years, particularly with 2008. And yeah. um, so museums have recalibrated and adjusted to um, define their expectations in relationship to um, what the potential um, funding opportunities are.
1: And let's say you were at that, that, that group that you had, and you were given just a couple minutes to explain what makes NOMA so special. What would you tell those folks? They're all do- Everybody, I guess, has a little different niche.
3: Well, everyone, um, the Association of Art Museum Directors, for uh, which I'm the president this year, um, is the 240 largest museums in North America. So we represent museums from Canada, the United States, and Mexico. So our, um, our mandate is to create a conversation around the value and importance of art museums in communities and cultures. And I would say that NOMA is uh, one of the leading museums in the Gulf South, if not the leading museum in the Gulf South. And our strengths um, are uh, focused on our collections of African art, world-class collections of African art, photography, French decorative arts, Spanish colonial material, and obviously the sculpture garden, which is one of the finest, I would say, in the country, and one of the most um, appreciated and visited by um, our colleagues uh, around the world.
1: What do you do? I noticed you, for instance, have a a special Friday night series. Uh, um, This is kind of what museums are doing, trying trying to attract attention this way. Does it work? It does work, actually. Um, our
3: visitation is robust. Um, we're at new, and we've set new um, benchmarks and thresholds over the last two years with the, with the Friday night programs. It's a way to bring people together around this idea that culture and community go hand in hand. So we see ourselves more um, as much as uh, a cultural, as a c- cultural convener, Um, which allows us to engage our public with uh, the arts writ large so film music dance uh, all of the various arts that are informed by the visual arts and so for us to have that opportunity for our audiences to experience different ways to access the visual arts or different ways to access film through the visual arts or dance or theater it's really a part of who we are and what we do.
1: Are those some of the things that you instituted when you took over? You took over from, was it 2010? Uh, yes, yeah. yes.
3: Uh, yes, we did start a Friday night program because we felt that we looked across the spectrum of offerings and we realized that people work during the week. And on weekends, there are other um, demands on people's times. And Friday night was, a, was one of those nights where um, one could come together um, informally. Um, we always have children's, Programs we have, art offerings where there are many things going on on Friday night, so you can pick and choose. Um, and it really has borne out this premise that uh, the arts um, can be made available to people at different times of day. We also have free Wednesdays. The museum is. is that open. like single night or?
1: Uh,
4: it's not. It's <laughs> not no, the.
3: Know, <laughs> 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 it's not the evening. It's oh, during okay. the day. Oh, okay. So it's free Wednesday. It's tough to get off the. Hey, um, to meet girls. Yeah. <laughs> no, Friday nights. <laughs> But we have people who come on Friday night. They come every Friday night. Um, it's a place to stop by to see a, to see an exhibition or listen to a gallery talk or in some way engage with with the museum.
1: Now, in connecting with the art part, uh, Sean, uh, we were talking about this just before the show. What happens in the in the beginning part of putting a, a billboard together? Does somebody come to you? With just an idea like, we have the biggest crawfish in Louisiana, can you design a billboard? Or is it, or is it um, like uh,
2: ad agencies that already come with the, the drawings and all? What is it? It's a little bit of both. So we get copy handed to us from the largest ad agencies in the world, um, representing the largest companies in the world. Household names like you know, McDonald's or GM or whomever, Apple. Um, There are smaller regional and city agencies that that do artwork for local customers and they, again, sort of hand it to us. And then we have customers that call us up just like you said and say, look, you know, this is what I do and and I'd like to have a billboard and can you design it for me? And so we've got a staff of probably, gosh, around the country, maybe 150 artists and, you know, that's what they do. Uh, They design artwork for for local clients Um, and then we've got a, a... a number of uh, graphic artists in Baton Rouge that design uh, digital art. So they spend a lot of time looking at the screen and designing digital art to go on our digital billboards. Um, so yeah, we're 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 steeped in in artists. Art is uh, very much a part of of what we do because you can't have good copy. You can't communicate a message on a billboard without good art.
3: And bil- billboards have become this um this vehicle for public art
2: well we did a great we did a great thing uh as an industry uh, in august of Mm the summer art everywhere that's right and uh that was a lot of fun that was a lot and what was on these how did that work
1: they
3: were the great american works of art in american museum collections around the country and there was a vote and people voted for their favorite works of art and then the billboard company sponsored the Art Everywhere program.
2: We put it up on, gosh, probably more than 15,000 facings around the country. Mm-hmm. It was wow. a lot of fun. And, and, and the curation was done by your colleagues at a couple of, of, yep. of you know, the nation's finest museums, the, the, the Dallas, the Dallas Museum, Museum, the National Museum in Washington, um, et cetera. And so they nominated the best works of art in American history. And we put it up online. And then the country voted. There were probably two or three hundred thousand votes as to which ones would go up, and then we put them up for a month. It was a lot of fun. And and, Sean, we
1: see your uh, name Lamar under these billboards, no matter where I go in the, the country, but historically I have thought of you as someone who really dominated that small to middle size uh, market. Is that still true? Yeah, or has, has it
2: changed a little bit? It's changed a little bit. You know, that, those were our roots. As I mentioned, we kind of grew up in places like Pensacola and Baton Rouge and Tallahassee and Mobile and places like that. Um, and historically, you know, instead of being in New York, New York, we were in Albany, New York. Or instead of, to bring it home, instead of being in New Orleans, we were in Baton Rouge. That's changed a little bit. For example, we've just this year come to New Orleans in a relatively significant way. And that was uh, through acquisition that was through an acquisition of of uh, Marco Mark Winston's company um, and and uh, glad to be here um, but we you know we also have a significant presence now in Manhattan and in Atlanta and Dallas and Los Angeles so we've grown up a little bit.
1: Susan, what do you do with your time? How much of it is spent frankly fundraising
3: quite a bit um, but it's it's fundraising in the broadest definition of the word, because it's, it's really about talking to people about what you believe in and what you believe the role of this museum in New Orleans is and what it should be and what it can be for the city. So it's, it's, a, it's really about connecting people to uh, what the core mission and beliefs are of this institution and how NOMA makes a difference. And for us, Making a difference means everything from early childhood education initiatives for three- and four-year-olds to uh, lifelong learning opportunities for everyone. So it's really not, it's, it's, a, it's a broad mandate, and it's one that um, engages um, as many people as we, as we can.
1: And, and you brought up something that I wanted to ask you about, and that is the schools have had difficulty with budgets and such, and the arts curriculum has been cut out of so many. Do you think you're in there to kind of fill that gap? Or?
3: I think art museums in America have been filling that gap for a long time, since um, arts began, initially began being cut from um, curric- core curricular offerings. So it really began in the late 80s, this move towards creating a separate um, arts curriculum Outside of the public schools, but here in New Orleans, what's really interesting for us is um, the opportunity for us to engage with schools um, in in very deliberate ways that involve, um, as I mentioned before, an interdisciplinary approach. So we're not in the, we're in the schools talking to them about how the art museum can be used in their teaching of science, history, English, not just studio art and or, or art history. So to create these points of intersection for the curriculum through the object is something that is very much on our minds. And to that end, we also look at how to create those viable opportunities that are specific to NOMA. So we started this program for three- and four-year-olds, which is now being funded by the Ford Foundation, um, which allows an early childhood intervention to create... Um, Preparation. I mean, kindergarten preparation for kids. Who knew you had to be prepared for kindergarten? But you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, so it is. Um, so we've had great success with that, and we've partnered with Tulane University to do the assessment, and we've partnered with um, <coughs> other um, entities in the city to create a um, a significant program that uh, will be um, more broadly disseminated. Now that we have funding.
1: Susan, Sean, I want to take a minute to introduce you to Haley Burns. Uh, We met Haley through 52 businesses, uh, which specialize in uncovering entrepreneurs in the very, very early stages of development. Um, She has an entrepreneurial idea called Fund 17, and I'm going to give Haley one minute to tell you about it, and then I'm going to give each of you a chance to ask Haley one question, a question that you think she'll be able to, she'll really be able to need to answer to move her business forward. Uh, Haley, give us your one-minute pitch.
4: All right, thank you. So nearly 40% of New Orleans is either unbanked or underbanked, which means that tens of thousands of households don't have proper access to financial services such as credit or savings. Meanwhile, the entrepreneurial uh, rate in New Orleans is outstanding, outstanding the national average by a staggering 56%. We believe that these two statistics together signify an untapped market of potential. While the entrepreneurial community is growing, there are hardworking individuals that don't have the tools to succeed and risk being left behind. At Fund 17, we believe that every New Orleanian deserves equal opportunity to success. Through affordable microloans and one-on-one goal-based assistance, we provide financial opportunity, education, and empowerment to micro-entrepreneurs in the 17 wards of New Orleans. We target informal, otherwise invisible businesses, uh, such as a woman that styles hair, or sells food out of her home. We believe that the country's success has been formulated through a a combination of capital, trust, and risk. And if we can extend this to all, we can empower communities and take down inequality in New Orleans.
2: But my question is very simple because um, a lot of these wonderful ideas um, falter on the shoals of sustainability. So how do you make money?
4: As far as our loan pool goes, it should be self-sustainable. Uh, self-sustaining, that if we, you know, do our job correctly. Um, we do charge um, a little bit of interest, so we don't make huge amounts of profit, but enough to where our loan pool will grow over time. Um, and that's really the amount, the funds that we need right now are just for our loans. So as our loans are being paid back, they'll grow continuously as uh, our operational funds will also hopefully grow and we can lend to more people. Um, we're structured as a non-profit, so as any other nonprofit, it's a lot of grants and donations and outreach that way. Um, um, but we're currently focused really just on getting our funds um, for our loan reserve and making sure that it's being that we're lending to the right people so that we can keep growing that.
3: Tell us about some of the loan lending opportunities. what are the kinds of um, places or businesses or people that you're Funding, or would like to fund
4: right. So um, right now, our first client has been a family that was running a retail store out of a community retail center uh, called Diverse City. This was in Broadmoor. It actually, closed down about a year ago, and so that really um, that really hit our first client hard and hit us hard as well. Um, but we've stuck with them, and they've been saving up, and they're actually reopening the retail store. Um, in the same area. Um, that That's a little different from what we're actually targeting because we're not necessarily going after places with storefronts. Um, but the, the woman who's running it, she also has her own janitorial business. And those are the kinds of things that you might not necessarily see a storefront for it, but she's working every single night to, to make ends meet. Um, and those are really the kinds of entrepreneurs that we're interested in.
1: Well, Haley, thank you so much for coming by today. Thank we look you. forward to
4: following your progress on this. <laughs> thank this you. is
1: uh, with Fun 17. We're going to stick around a little bit longer after the show and, and talk some more about Fun 17. You'll be able to hear the rest of that conversation with Haley Burns on our website. It's Susan Taylor, Sean Riley, you know the old saying, "I don't know much about art, but I know what I like." Well. I'm pleased to note that whether it's in a museum or a sculpture garden or a billboard on the highway, we know a bit more about it than we did 30 minutes ago. Thank you so much for joining me on Out to Lunch.
3: Thank you, Great. Peter. Thanks Great to, to be here.
1: Great to have you folks. My, my guests on Out to Lunch today have been Susan Taylor, director of the New Orleans Museum of Art, and Sean Riley, the CEO of Lamar Advertising. You can find out more about Sean's and Susan's artistic and commercial pursuits by following the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. The info-hunting Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get the show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's neworleans.com and wwno.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from Baton Rouge-based Presonus Audio Electronics. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Rusciutti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans-style
0: on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO, provided by the law firm of Jones-Walker, established in 1937 now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Fidelity Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Luba Workers' Comp, and 30 North Investments.